again, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Playing With Myself on the Internet, Miru 2. Rainy here, as always, and I'm very excited to jump back into this after my walk-off home run in the batter's cages last time. But real quick, let's go over some DMs after dark stuff, and also recap episode two. First and foremost, if you haven't seen it in the podcast descriptions or haven't caught it brought up on our streams for RuneQuest, we do have a t-shirt design finally available. It is on a Redbubble website that I will link in the description. I don't know if I brought it up last time or not, but if you're interested in taking a look at that, I am working on a few other designs as well, but I'm not great at graphic design and we might reach out to some people to do some t-shirt designs for ideas and things that we have from our many, many series and silly jokes along the way. Also, four of the DMs, well, three plus Kent, went to Gen Con again this year. By the time this drops, I believe they will have already left. I think it's already done at that point, but they were there. And as always, they have an incredible time learning about new games, finding new products and ideas and cool things out there. One year, we are all going to try and get out there. But hopefully, if we can, we're going to try and convince them to do another episode about 2023 Gen Con, their experiences, what they found, what they are excited about, and things like that. So we might get another bonus episode just talking about, you know, the big con of all nerdiness and stuff like that. But today, I'm alone, and I'm playing Miru 2, and let's recap what happened in our second session. We started off having trouble getting through some forest and quickly encountering an enemy known as the Black Hat. We earned our first badge by defeating the Black Hat and then continued to travel. And it was crazy how Session 2 worked out. It's kind of funny because I think this is how it happened in Miru 1 too, where my first session was absolutely brutal. And then my second session was really fortuitous and I had a lot of luck and really cool things happened. In Mirror 2, because I imported my character from Mirror 1, both Session 1 and 2 so far have been pretty awesome. I'm probably jinxing myself by saying that. But after defeating the Black Hat, we went to an airport where we immediately got to use that badge to bypass a second combat. We found a flooded swamp and an old mask lady who we managed to get an item that we didn't get from the Black Hat and it is a cooler upgraded mask from our Cyclops masks back from Miru 1. We finally found the village of Miru 2, which is full of androids, and they gave us a quest that just so happened to be rolled on the very next tile. It was crazy how well everything worked out in Session 2. We then went to a library, which everyone should do, and had some pretty uneventful days towards the end of Session 2 that were immediately upended by a visit to the zoo, and a fight with a gorilla. R.I.P. Harambe. Then finally, like I said, we had a walk-off home run moment, a la The Natural, and ended there on a pretty easy last, I think, five-ish days of Session 2. So starting off Session 3, I am going to backtrack a little because I'm only two tiles away thanks to our snaking pattern that we're doing along this hex map from the Android Village, and I would like to go back and not only work on improving my tech skills that I don't have mastered yet, but also I want to get another quest, because every time you visit the village you get a new quest. Now, because I'm backtracking and I'm going through 
a tile that I've been on that has an icon because of the quest that was finding DJ, the android, for my blank disc that I received. I do not have to roll for any kind of encounter or event. I know what's there. I'm familiar with the territory, so I make my way to DJ's house on day 29. And then on day 30, I arrive back at the village. So all I have to do for the first two days of this session is tick down some food. I suppose I should roll for weather just to see if that factors in as far as potential not gaining EP or HP. So let's see. Got a six for the grasslands, which is fine. And a four for the forest, which is also fine. So good weather on my way back. And I arrive back at the village. I spend time looking around for the android who I met that introduced me to the town. But I recall that he mentioned being infected with the rust that is causing androids to kind of lose control of their humanity. And asking around a bit, I kind of get sidelong glances and vague answers and assume the worst that this android has probably left town to, as he put it, go out into the world and claim some silence and peace before the universe takes it away. Frustrated with the universe and how it's playing out, I make my way to the dojo. And appropriately, that has to do with the quest that awaits me the second time I visit this village. This time, the gold android from the dojo has a friend there. They explain to me that they're the same model robot, and they're actually only four production units apart. But his friend doesn't suffer from the same obsession with bitliths as him. Instead, that friend is obsessed with human fighting techniques. And when that friend notices that I have both a laser sword and a strongbow, he gets very excited to work on some techniques that he's been conceiving. Things that he's digested from human media or maybe something like that, I'm not really sure. But it says here, when you show him the weapons, he teaches you tech skill 9, shoot and swipe. Which, according to the item catalog... Oh, wow. For 6 EP, I get to make 2 attacks, one with a ranged weapon and a melee weapon in the same turn. That's crazy. And because it only costs me 1 bitlith to train, and I can take up to 6 rolls per day... I was planning on getting my jump and attack better, but I'm definitely going to roll 3d6 and try and improve my shoot and swipe. So let's roll 3d6 and see how many times I can improve this tech skill. And this android is like incredibly agile and dexterous and manages to fire a bow and like in the same motion just fling the bow out of their hands and they already have their melee weapon in hand. And I'm trying to get that motion down. So let's see. Fail on the first roll. Fail on the second roll. Fail on the third roll. Fail on the fourth roll. Fail on the fifth roll. And I finally succeed on the very last roll. And I think that that's just really fitting, right? This is the highest tech skill in the game. You get two attacks I'm just struggling. I'm not built like an android who have these augmentations, and they are, from what I've seen out in the world, the ones that are falling apart and their code and the rust is causing them to kind of just go crazy. 
and violent, they're much more capable than an average human, than I am. I'm only lucky because I'm pretty well armed, and at this point, almost feral and just violent myself. So I've gotten very lucky, and watching this android who has all of their faculties about them cleanly pull off this attack combination, it makes me really both frustrated that I can't do it, and that their kind, these androids, could be capable of something so incredible, but they're victims of this code and this Allura, this robot god that is just casting them off. And also sad for that same reason. I do manage to train it to two. So not great, but better than one. And I think that the owner of the dojo sees this and his friend looks at me and says, don't get discouraged. I can see you've made it quite a long ways, and you've been fighting for a very long time. You'll get it. Keep practicing. Because I didn't have to get anything new for that quest, I'm going to kind of cheat, and I'm going to squeeze quest 7 in as well instead of waiting till I come back again, only because I already had this. If I had to go out and get that last thing and then come back, it makes sense. Hinokoto, forgive me. I feel like I've said that the last like four episodes. So I strongly suggest everybody, if you're interested in solo play, this is such a good game. It is focused. It is really tight in its gameplay loop of roll for a day, exploration, event, resolve, survive. I'm bending the rules maybe a little bit, but I think it makes for a good story. So I think that On my way from the dojo to the tavern where I was going to stay for the night and get some food, I see a very broken android trying to get itself on the automated tram that circles the village. I run over and help him on. He invites you to join him for a ride around the village. On the ride, he thanks me for my help. Tells me that he thinks he deserves to be in such a broken state. He's telling me about the time that he robbed a human neighborhood that used to be nearby. It was about two tiles to the northeast. After humans left the area, he went back and stashed over a thousand bitliths in this house with a red roof. Not many people travel through the area, so it should still be there, and he suggests I go and check to see. If you find it, you can keep it all. Just keep it away from that gold android at the dojo. Now, because of where I placed the village on my map, it is in one of the northernmost tiles. I don't think you are supposed to jump to the south and then go from there. So I'm just going to say that it is two tiles to the east, as opposed to northeast. Still two tiles away, and in the direction I was heading anyway. So, after meeting this android, I bid them farewell, tell them not to be so hard on themselves, and make my way from the tram to the tavern, where I get a meal and sleep for the night. Leaving incredibly well-rested from this village once again, I pass by DJ's, Once again, just talking tunes and information about the world and stuff like that. He still doesn't give me an answer as to how to listen to this disc that he gave me, but he smiles because he knows that it's about finding out as much as it is about listening to it. And for the first time in this episode, we are going to roll for our new terrain on day 32. And this is the tile 
that this android told me about with a village with a red-roofed building. 5d6 roll, here we go. It is desert, which makes sense. Again, desert in this game is not so much actual dune, sandy desert. It is urban areas that have just become desiccated places where life just does not flourish. We rolled a three for our weather, which means that it is windy. And the event and clarification die do not matter because this is the quest. You walk up and down the old suburban streets until you spot a house with a red roof. Part of the roof's caved in. The front's completely covered in greenery. You walk around the house to find a good entrance and spot an open window in the back. You enter and find arrows sticking out of the living room wall. You explore down the hall and in the bedrooms and you find a set of Allura cards. When you look at the kitchen, you notice a bag in the sink with a note on top that reads, Should have gotten here sooner. Looking in the bag, I find two bitliths and a bunch of rocks. You hear a loud crash come from the living room. You quickly duck behind the kitchen island, and in the dark living room you hear a large, deranged android sniff around. You peek around the island to see a wild abomination of a robot. It has the robotic body of a bear, with a long neck and a human face. You guys should see the art for this, it is creepy. It screams, I can smell your blood, human, and dashes into the kitchen to rip you apart. Well, shit. And I think just a great framing shot for this, if you're thinking of this like a TV show or a movie, is you hear the huge lumbering body, and as I'm hunched down beneath the kitchen island, that long neck with the human head just kind of extends from this bear's body and looks down unnaturally long before powerfully just clawing through to make its attack. All right, here goes. It's going to make its first attack. And I got a two, which of course is the lowest damage, but it does inflict poison. Awesome. So I managed to get my shield up in time and I mitigate the damage, but something, some kind of liquid drips down the actual shield and gets onto my skin beneath my jacket and everything like that. It is my turn to attack and I'm going to push off and give myself a little bit of distance and perhaps foolishly, I'm going to attempt my new tech skill, shoot and swipe. So I'm rolling 3d6, hoping for a two or less on one of these dice. And I got it. I got a two and a one. So that means that I improve this tech skill to three and I get to make an attack with my bow and my laser sword. And I'm so used to tech skills adding to damage and stuff like that, but basically this just gets one for my base attack plus these weapons. So one plus six for the strongbow is seven, and one plus eight for the laser sword is nine for 16 total damage. It does have a defense of four, so that's only 12 damage, but that takes it from 20 HP down to eight. It does not like that, but again, Maybe foolishly, I did have to close the distance and get close with my laser sword. Seeing I did not kill it, I'm now terrified of the damage this thing can deal. I rolled another two, so again, it doesn't get its damage off. I get my sword up and kind of bury it into its arm as it's attempting to hit me, and it hurts it enough that it doesn't really make full contact, but again, I'm spraying some kind of infected blood from this android, and it's getting on me, and I can just feel something about this liquid is just not right. And the poison 
is seeping into my skin as I continue. And maybe this is dumb, but again, we said flavorfully, narratively, shooting the bow, you kind of shoot it and let the motion continue, so you kind of toss the bow. So now all I have in my hand is my laser sword. I still have a hatchet holstered somewhere, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually use this kitchen island, jump up on it, and use the height to attempt a jump and attack. I can roll 3d6, and all I gotta get is a four or less on one of these dice to succeed, and I'll level that one up as well. That's gonna give me plus six to my attack, so I will easily deal enough damage to kill this thing. Let's see if I can do both. I almost didn't. I got two fives and a one. So I do succeed, level that up to tech skill five, and come down with my laser sword and this long neck on this huge abomination of an android was its downfall. Because as it turns its huge body, I managed to strike at a smaller weak point, which is that long, elongated neck and slash it off as it falls to the floor. Its large, bear-like body sways for a few seconds before falling in the middle of the kitchen. So no thousand bitliths, but I do get to roll 3d6 to see what kind of reward I get from this abomination, whatever it's been keeping in this house here. And I rolled a 12, a 6, a 5, and a 1. Oh, which does allow me, I always get these numbers wrong, I feel like I always underestimate where the special reward is, but I could take a solar battery, which, going to the item catalog, says, recharges an electronic once a day during combat. Hmm. Oh, so like, I could use my taser twice instead of just the once. And I've totally forgotten that I have a solar-powered light that grants me plus one attack in dark and rain. I could have been using that damage. I feel like we've had a lot of rain. And now I understand why Dark is always bolded. You know, I pride myself on reading the rules and getting them right, but there's a lot going on in this game. Sweet, so I'll take that solar battery. And as my character plops down on the recliner to call it a night in this red-roofed home in this small little village in suburbia, the extreme winds howling through the broken windows, preventing me from getting a decent night's sleep, I at least have some good food and meal bars and fruit, and an inhaler to cure that poison that I know is seeping through my body. And we wake up to day 33. Continuing the snaking pattern, let's roll 5d6 and see what we get. Classic swamp. And I rolled a 3 for weather, which is the only result that would get extreme winds in the swamp. I rolled a 7 for the event die, which is ruins, and a 6 for the clarifying die, which says par the course. Yes, let's get some golf in. I know I'm such an old person. You walk up to the entrance of a gated area called Meadow Oaks Golf Resort. Suddenly the gates open and the speaker box near the entrance says, Valued guest, please come in. You walk through and down a long, windy paved road. An android missing an arm and half his face drives up on a golf cart and offers you a ride. He's kind, and he tells you about the resort. You're the first person to visit in 30 years. Instead of stopping at the entrance of the resort, he continues to drive onto the golf course and explains the game. It has something to do with hitting tiny balls into birdies and small holes. Just ahead, another android on a cart comes flying over the hill. He's waving his arms and yelling, but you can't understand him. 
Right behind him appears a large and upset Growler Bear, running at full speed. Oh, we fought a Growler Bear in Miru 1. Your driver turns the cart around and you both race back to the resort. Roll 1d6. I got a 1, so it is odd. You both race back to the resort and everyone manages to make it inside. You lock the doors, but the Growler Bear breaks through the brittle entrance, consumed with rage. It swipes at you. Yeah, I'm definitely going to protect my new golfing android pals, that's for sure. Let's see what it does. A 4 right in the middle for 6 points of damage, which I actually mitigate even though this is not a robot. My sleeper's leather jacket, my light shoes, and my hacked minor shield bring me up enough that this thing isn't even going to hurt me unless it rolls a 5 or a 6. And because I'm feeling it, and I want to show off for my new friends, I'm going to attempt my new tech skill, shoot and swipe. I use the clubhouse to my advantage. It comes in and it swipes at me, but I duck behind a rack of golf clubs and they clatter all over the place. And in the noise, the bear is looking around and it's sniffing and it stands up and roars. And in that moment, I've slid away and I get my bow up and loose an arrow. A one, a two, a two, I definitely succeed. So I'm going to be able to shoot an arrow and close the distance with my laser sword once again. Leveling that up to four now. It's pretty consistent at this point. I've figured out the rhythm. And that's going to be seven plus nine is 16 damage minus its three defense. 13 damage. It has 15 hit points. So it was just not enough. And it stands there with two hit points. Let's roll to see how much damage it does. And here, I'm sure it's going to be a five or a six. No, it's a one. So... It attempts to bite down at me, but I roll out of the way, and you know what, I'll spend the EP because I just said roll, so we're going to roll and slice, even though that's a robot-only technique, I'll spend the two extra EP just to roll out of the way and bury my laser sword in this roller bear as it falls. And I look down at it, and I look at the androids, and I say, you know, I think these used to make pretty cool rugs. Let's roll 3d6 to see what reward we get. Terrible. I got an eight, which I can split up into two fours for six fruit. You know, another thing that I've forgotten to track since Miru 1 is my cool engineered plant, which is supposed to give me a fruit every five days. But I'm doing just fine on food, so I don't think starvation is going to be the thing that gets me in Miru 2. And because of the extreme winds, that's a second night in a row of no sleep. So my EP is at minus four from whatever I recover. So I'm going to eat three of those fruits, which is the max you can eat to regain six EP, bringing me up to 16. And then on day 34, we're going to roll 5d6. We are in the grasslands and it is pouring, but we have our raincoat and we rolled a 12 on the event die, two sixes. So that is definitely encounters, I believe. Yep. And then... A three for our clarifying die, which says Junkers Junk Emporium. That's what I'm talking about. You walk past a rusty fence and a dog barks at you as you pass by. You hear someone yell at it to shut up. Ooh. An android missing his face skin approaches and asks if you want to see any of his junk. It's pretty cool stuff, he says. Well, yeah, of course I do. And why would you say no to this face skinless mean to dogs android that's definitely not a trap right 
Yeah, should have said no. Yes says, you say, why not, and follow him through the junkyard. He shows you a few junk gadgets and vanishes. You are now lost in a maze of trash and a two-headed android stumbles out in front of you. One of its heads begs you to kill it. The rest of its body wants to tear you apart. Oh, that's sad. It's like an android Etten. Alright, it's gonna make its attack first, as always, in Mirror 2. And rolls low. Low enough that I do not take any damage. And I'm rolling pretty well tonight, so let's really goof this up. And I'm gonna try the old classic, here, catch, and attempt my EMP bomb that I have not successfully done since we got it back in Miru 1. 3d6, all I need is a 1, come on. Of course not. I throw it, and I think that the android catches my solar-powered taser and just goes, thanks? And you know what? I'm going to punish myself really bad for this. It's going to hit me with that. Yep, I roll a 6 for its damage, which is 13 damage. That's even higher than my solar-powered taser would be. And I'm just going to say that before I even take my turn, I'm going to roll. And if I get a 4, I'm also stunned. I got to stop using this EMP toss. So 13 damage minus my 8 defense is actually still only 5. But that still hurts really bad. That's a quarter of my health as I get tased. Here goes, I'm gonna roll my d6. Luckily it is not a four, so I can take my turn. And I'm going to shoot and swipe. I did get a one on that roll, which means I have trained that up to five already. It is almost mastered. I've gotten the hang of this more than my jumping and attacking. I get to deal damage with my bow and my laser sword, which as we know is 16 damage, minus this android's four, is 12 damage, it has 16 total hit points, bringing it down to 4 hit points. And we get a funny kind of scene where one of the heads screams out in pain and just says like, I'm gonna kill you! And the other one just says, yeah, please finish me! And I think my character looks and goes, I like this one better. It's going to attack, let's see what it does. Another 6, 13 more damage, 5 more damage to me, I've been brought to 10 hit points. You'd think that I'd have my guard up for the side that the head that wants to kill me is on. But surprisingly, this thing seems to be really unpredictable because it's trying to wrestle itself for control, so it's swinging wildly. I take a stray hit, and I roll with it. That's right, I roll and slice. Which will definitely be enough damage to take this thing down. And as it falls, I think the head that asked me to kill it tries to get out a little something because the special reward for this one is journal number three. So let's see if I can get an 11 or 12 on 3d6. I rolled way too high. I rolled a 15, but I can get an 11 out of a six and five. Ooh, or I can get treasure map number eight. You know what? I like the tech skills, but I've already got shoot and swipe. I've got roll and slice. I'm not even going to look at what tech skill eight does. I'm going to take treasure map number eight, and that head that wanted me to kill it says something along the lines of, in that car back there, I hit something. Take it. It's yours. And as it dies, I walk over and pop the glove compartment to an old rusting out car in this junk emporium, and I find treasure map number eight. I'm excited to see what that's going to get me. And this also says, you make it back to the front of the junkyard, but no one's there. 
so you take the 30-bit list from the desk drawer and run away. Hell yeah. 30 more bitliths, I am loaded, and I now have a treasure map to chase down. Just like treasure map 7 that we got earlier, I do need to decrypt it either at a radio tower or through a dead helper F2 bot. So once we fight one of those or find the radio tower, I'll be able to figure out where this treasure map is leading me. Luckily, I did spend a lot of EP in that battle, but luckily I have a raincoat which negates rain effects, so I do manage to gain EP tonight. I will rest in my improved camping gear and eat three fruits to get back up to 17 in both hit points and EP. And we move on to day 35, which has a cutscene. And you will not believe what it is. Miru 2 is working out crazy well for us. Day 35. Move to a new tile. This tile is a mountain, and there is no adverse weather. You spot a radio tower on your hike up a small mountain. You investigate and climb the rusty ladder to the top. There's a low-frequency hum that permeates all around you. You try and turn the tower off by hitting a big red button on the console, but instead of shutting down, a cryptic barcode language appears on the panel displays. Oh, and it actually shows an interesting little barcode language, and it says once you decipher the code, you may return to this tile and shut down the radio tower. And I assume that's with the badge that is shown here where we have our disc that we were given and took to DJ, except this isn't white or see-through, it is black. So presumably we need to get something on that disc. All right. In Miru 1, the radio tower had a Sudoku puzzle. This one has a barcode language to decipher. That's cool. And I think that that's it for day 35. So we get to move right on to day 36. Rainy jumping in here in post to say that I forgot to decrypt that map that I just got. But when I rolled those 3d6, it actually pointed to two tiles to the southwest, which would have been in Grasslands, where last session we had a pretty easy day. And we didn't really head in that direction, but I've marked it on my map. So if we ever go that way again, we know where to find treasure map 8. Continuing south to keep our snaking pattern going, let's roll our 5d6. Classic. So we rolled a 5, which means desert. And we rolled four for the weather, no adverse weather in the desert. This mountain comes down to what used to be maybe a small suburban town here in the mountains, but something happened, maybe a rock slide or something, because I rolled two sixes for my event dice, which means this desert is impassable. So we need to start the day over, which means that instead of going south, we are going southeast. So I'm going to roll 46 and assume the weather die is still the same number. And of course, it's more swamp, because we can't get out of the swamp. We rolled a 6, which is the ruins of the swamp, and our clarifying die is a 2, which says, life is temporary. You walk through the remains of an old mobile home park. Almost all the homes are completely ruined and have been taken over by nature. Your anxiety peaks to an all-time high, as you keep hearing someone walking behind you. Every time you turn around and look, no one is there. That night you have a dream about a metal skeleton with four eyes dragging a dead body around by the feet. Ooh. Yeah, 
I mean, in Miru 1, there was a lot of dreams. Your brother who died, you saw him with four eyes. This four-eyed symbolism is really interesting. The god has four eyes. I don't think it's explicitly mentioned that the androids do. But a creepy mobile home park destroyed leads to terrifying dreams that night. And we just move on to day 37. And because the impassable desert messed with our snaking pattern, I'm going to finally break from the pattern and continue going southeast. Because I think what I want to do, and let me count out the tiles here we have. It'll work out perfectly. If we explore three new tiles, we can then go three tiles to the northwest and be back in the android village to try and finish that last quest and be in a position to take on the last few weeks of the journey here. So let's go southeast and roll 5d6. Back in the desert, and we rolled a three for the weather, which is extreme winds. So we are getting minus one to attack if we get into a fight here. We rolled a five, which is ruins, and a three, which says blood and bones. Looking for shade, you come across a mountain of robot body parts. Upon closer inspection, you realize it's actually a building. There's only curtains covering the entrance, and you enter to find a large statue of Alora, looking over a hundred empty pews. Below her is a small metal skull with twenty bitlets in its cranium. Do you take it? This harkens back to like one of the very first encounters, events that we did in Miru 1, where we found a church in a swamp, and we took it. So I think that, and I'm also pretty good on bitlets and food at the moment, I don't need it. Plus, I wouldn't want charity from this god anyway, so we're going to say no, and we're going to say no emphatically by kicking over this skull with the bitlet offerings. And let's see what no says. You leave the offering for the next person to take. You walk out to see two hooded androids riding their bikes down the road. Now this says they ring their bells and wave as they pass you, but I think because I kicked it over, they're probably just riding by menacingly. And just because I'm curious, I always check the yes, and the yes says I would have been jumped by a cloaked android. So, we avoided a fight in the heavy winds, which would have been minus one to our attack anyway, and we've finished day 37 here in the desert, in a creepy Alora church. So turning back north, we're going to head, we've made it all the way across this hex map from the left side leftmost column to the furthest right column. So quite a journey we've been on so far. And just thinking about it, the last few days have been pretty easy. And that was the same way last session when out of nowhere, we had to fight a gorilla. So fingers crossed. Yep, I jinxed it. That would be a small injury, which is our third small injury. So we're going to lose some stuff. Let's go read what happens when you get your third small injury. So after hurting myself somehow in this desert trying to get through, I take my two HP of damage and it says, you finish your dinner and stare into the campfire. The flames dance before you and time slows down. You hear a sharp snap of a tree branch next to you. Turning quickly to look, you see nothing in the dark. Suddenly a blood-curdling scream comes from behind you. Frozen in fear, you feel a hand go right through your back and out your stomach. You scream as you watch its fingers wiggle around. Then you wake up in a sweat. You're okay, it was just a nightmare. 
you shake off the fear and fall back asleep. But when you wake up in the morning, you're down to 10 hit points and 10 energy points. You're missing half of your bitlets and any duplicate items that aren't food. Oh, and if I was poisoned, I no longer am, which would be bizarre. Oof. So we lose 40 bitlets, we lose a second raincoat that we had, and a second strong bow. Which isn't really that bad, at least I still have those things. And our small injury counter resets, so there's that. Oh, and now we're not going to get to the village at the nice clean number of day 42. I might squeeze one extra day out of this session. Let's roll for day 39, though, trying once again to move north from this creepy desert and Alora church. Well, it's still desert, but the wind has died down. We rolled an 8 for our event dice, which is encounters, and a 6, which says, you have been found. However, because I have the black hat badge, I can choose the alternate route, or actually I have to choose the alternate route, so let's see what it says on page 43. Oh, it's one of those, roll 3d6 for rewards, nothing unusual happens today. And given the other encounter, I think this might be where that typo is, but I'm not going to chance it while I'm still recovering from my third injury, which halved my health. So let's roll 3d6 for rewards. That's a 10. So we'll just say we re-up on some food. We get three meal bars, three fruits, because we are in a desert. So we're in a what used to be populated area, and I find some foodstuffs. And another easy day passes for day 39, which makes me very nervous because you know something's waiting on one of these last three days that we're going to play in the session. So here goes, going northwest this time and just going to take a straight line back towards the android village. Forest for the first time in a while. And our weather continues to be nice. We got an eight for our event die, which is ruins. And a four, which says the space station. You find a mossy concrete dome building. You walk through the crushed glass doors, and nature has completely taken over the first floor. You walk up the stairs to find a room littered with empty sleeper pods. It's eerily quiet. As you start to head back out, you notice a hallway that goes downstairs. You head down and find a massive room with an empty pool. And spray-painted on the walls, it says, God has abandoned us. There's an office behind a one-way mirror, and in it you find one space cadet suit. Ooh, is this an upgrade to my sleeper's leather jacket? It's actually the same thing, it's just one defense, but it says a form-fitting suit that keeps the body warm and dry. I've had this sleeper's leather jacket since the beginning of Mirror One, and I think at this point it's one of those very nicely worn-in leather jackets that's just too comfy to give up. But I'll keep the space cadet suit just in case something happens. And day 40 goes very, very easily. Oh boy. And because I always get confused about heading through tiles that have already been explored, I just checked the rules again, and because we are heading through two tiles on days 41 and 42 before we arrive back in the village on day 43, I do not have to roll for anything 
for the first one, which is Junker's Junk Emporium, because we already did that event. But I will roll one for the Swamp with the Batter's Cage and everything like that, because that was just Batter's Up. I just hit a baseball, so technically there could be an event. So basically, I need to roll to determine the weather, and then I roll 1d6 for the clarifying die. And depending on if that's odd or even, I might have to roll to find encounters. So I rolled a 3 for the weather die, which is windy in the swamp, and I rolled odd on my clarifying die, which means I need to roll for an event within this swamp, and I rolled a 5, which we have already done, so I have to move one up, which says lunchtime. You walk on a muddy trail all morning. As you begin to regret not picking up some boots along your journey, you hear a little ringing bell behind you. You turn and look to see an android wearing a brown robe riding a bike in your direction. Now, if I had the fog, either if this was foggy or if I had a fog badge, I'm not sure, I could do something different, but it says, he rings his little bell again as he passes you. He continues riding down the muddy path, and that's the last you see of him. You spend the rest of the day walking on the side of the road, trying to keep your feet dry. Wow, so another session of Miru 2 ends with pretty easy going in the last few days and then we will start next time on day 43 entering the android village picking up that last quest and seeing what the last cutscene and last few days of mirror 2 have in store for us so once again thank you all for joining me for another episode of mirror 2 i feel like this game is a really great introduction to solo role-playing because you are playing a character who basically always starts the same. You don't have to worry about... I know character creation is very enjoyable, but this has a very almost board game-like feel of roll to figure out what hex you're exploring, what's in there, and you kind of move the pieces around, and it has an end game. It is on rails, but random enough with all of these daily rolls and things like that to keep it very interesting. And I'm really excited that I'm coming to a close on Mirror 2 soon because next session has to be the last one. There's only enough calendar days for those two weeks. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it has piqued your interest. Maybe you've taken a look at Hainokoto's itch page to get a copy of your own. Honestly, one thing I haven't really talked about and I really should is how clean the design of this game is, both the PDF and the zine. They are very cool to look at and managed to get a lot of information out in a very organized way so very impressive all right time to do the sarah thank you for joining us me thank you again for joining me if you would like to please follow dms after dark on all of the social medias we post pretty regularly and we like to engage with people about games we're playing games that you're playing anything you want to talk about if you want to reach out to us directly, you can email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. If you could or would or would like to, please do rate us on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. It helps go a long way as far as putting our name out there for more people to discover. And then more people discover more games and we all game more and it's win, 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 win. So I'll wrap up very quickly and say sorry for... um a relatively uneventful last few days of that session, but it's going to get crazy. You know it's going to get crazy. And until next time, you know, uh, go thrifting. Go find a junk emporium and find some gold. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
Ooh, I wonder if you can hear the storm outside. It is crazy. 